0: Welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I think my pictures are really about a kind of tension between my need to make a perfect picture and the impossibility of doing so. Gregory Crudson said that. I'm interested in the psychological truth more than the photographic truth. Hannah Starkey said that. Photography can be used as a powerful weapon toward instituting political and cultural change. I, for one, will continue to work towards this end. Carrie Mae Weems said that. I aim to visualise what a black utopia looks like or could look like. People say utopia is never achievable, but I love the possibility that photography brings. It allows me to dream and make that dream become very real. Tyler Mitchell said that. Four photographers there, all living, all currently working, and I think perhaps could all be labelled, if you wished to label them, as contemporary photographers as working with a contemporary, perhaps, art practice, but certainly a contemporary practice. But what actually does that mean? And that was a question I asked at a talk that I gave recently uh, for the Royal Photographic Society online. It was for the contemporary group within the Royal Photographic Society, which, as I understand it, began in the early 1970s uh, at the instigation of photographer Paul Hill. It was a great turnout for the talk, and I have to say, I really enjoyed it. But I found it quite an interesting brief to take on, because they didn't give me one. They just asked me to give a talk. And instantly I thought, well what is contemporary photography? What does that mean? Do we have a preconception of what contemporary photography looks like, how it's made, how it should be made? I think we do. And I think quite often that term contemporary takes us towards a certain form of conceptual photography. Perhaps photography that takes itself very seriously, that appears in particular photographic books, by particular publishers, and in certain galleries. Perhaps contemporary photography is that type of photography that you see at photography festivals that's very worthy. Could it be that kind of photography that always seems to win the competitions, the awards? Well, that was what I was kind of going to try and find out about in my talk. It was a journey, a search in a way, to try and find some answers. But as always, all I found were more questions. And it's interesting how often that seems to make photographers angry. But by asking questions, I should say, and by not providing answers. In some way, I have failed in my task of either giving a talk, speaking or writing. For me, it's not my job to come up with the answers. It's to spark debate. So anyway, back to that idea of contemporary photography. So I started out the talk with an image of me being shot out of a rocket, the human cannonball, if you like. And sometimes it does feel like that when you throw these kinds of questions out into the ether. The second image on my presentation was of me being hit in the stomach by a cannonball. Well, of course, it wasn't me. It was some sideshow circus performer. But that certainly sometimes feels how it feels, I should say, when I get the responses to the things that I've thrown out there. But the people listening to the talk were great and they really were open to the questions. And interestingly enough, I was putting forward the, uh, the premise that if contemporary photography is about the now, it's about the living photographer. Why are we still having the same kind of conversations around photography that we've had for the last 40 or 50 years? Surely, if it's contemporary photography, we should be having new conversations. The old conversations around analogue versus uh, digital and what constitutes a camera and so forth. Surely, we should be able to leave those behind. Unfortunately, it does seem as if many people are unable to do so. My suggestion was that we should be looking at AI and VR. We should be looking at new forms of photography and what does photography mean as a form of visual communication, as a form of visual storytelling. The audience for the talk were really responsive to that, and, and I thank them for it. I'm not sure. I think it was recorded. I'm not sure whether or not the talk will be made available, but I'm going to find out, and if uh, if that is the case, I'll see if I'm able to post it up on the UMP But what I think I learned from that conversation was that I don't question myself enough. And by asking myself those questions uh, that I put forward, I really found out a little bit, I got a little bit of understanding for myself. So I guess this week, what I'm suggesting is, ask yourself more questions, ask some simple questions, they might be the most difficult to answer, they might be the most obvious but they could be the most beneficial. A simple and direct question that we ask of photographers every week is, what does photography mean to you? And this week, the answer to that question comes from London-based photographer Gillian Edelstein who began working as a press photographer in Johannesburg, South Africa, and studied photojournalism at the London College of Communications after graduating from the University of Cape Town in anthropology, sociology, psychology and social work. Between 1996 and 2002, she returned to South Africa frequently to document the work of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, Her award-winning book of the work Truth and Lies was published in 2002. Edelstein's portraits have appeared internationally in publications including The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, The FT, Weekend Magazine, Vanity Fair, Interview, Vogue, The Guardian Weekend, The Sunday Times, Time, Fortune, Forbes, GQ and Esquire. There's quite a few there. Her work has also been exhibited internationally, including at the National Portrait Gallery, the Photographer's Gallery, the Royal Academy, Sotheby's L'Era Contra Internationale de la Photographie in France, and the Ben Susan Museum, Robin Island Museum in South Africa, and Dali International Photography Festival, and of course the Yunnan Province in China. She has received several awards including the UK Kodak Young Photographer of the Year, Photographer's Gallery Portrait Photographer of the Year, the Visa d'Or at the International Festival of Photojournalism in Perpignan in 1997, the European Final Art Polaroid Award in 1999, the John Cabal Book Award in 2003, and included in the Taylor Wessing Portrait Award on two occasions, and the AIAP Archive in 2008 and 2015. Edison was the winner in Latin America Photographia Four in twenty fifteen and has been included in World Press Awards on two occasions. Her vote she was voted, I should say, on the Hundred Heroines list of women from across the world who are transforming photography today in twenty eighteen. She lives in London, and is currently working on several photographic projects, including a film documentary about the screenwriter Norman Wexler. I think after all of my talk, it's time to hear from Jillian.
1: I was recently listening to the Radio 4 podcast series entitled Add to Playlist when a most beautiful and calming John Coltrane track called After the Rain was chosen. Apparently Coltrane was asked what he intended to do with his music. He replied that he'd like to heal a f- sick friend with his music. I'm aware that when I first... Pe- up a camera, it was the wonder that I could use this piece of constructed metal to capture what I needed to in that moment, that I could use photography to make a visual that could potentially change people's mind, that could surprise the viewer, that could inform or lead someone to think differently. Someone sent me an early photograph of a birthday party I had attended. I must have been five or six years old. There are 15 people at this garden party in Cape Town, South Africa of the 60s, where I grew up. Of the 15 in the sh- in the snapshot, I'm the only one staring, transfixed, by the photographer who's capturing this moment. The rest are looking towards a cake that's being cut or a present being opened. The drive towards the use of visuals via the camera was formed early on. I was surrounded by art as my mother's family collected local artists' work, a few Dutch paintings and antique maps. Looking back at my childhood through an incoherent set of photo albums, it is clear that I am the family member determined to hold store by it, to keep some recording gather up the few snapshots and to contain them for all that they are worth. As a child, I used to visit my grandparents at their seafront apartment in Cape Town. I used to gaze out over the sea at Robben Island, opposite where Mandela and many other political prisoners were being held. It felt so close. From early on, I became aware of the crude and inhumane system of apartheid. And by the time I got to high school, the situation was so obvious and transparent to me, the glaring gaps between the privileged whites and anyone else of color. I joined an activist youth league, handing out booklets called Know Your Pass" to the workers at local bus and railway station, because by law, anyone considered of color had to carry a pass to legitimise their movement or existence even. I decided that I wanted to make a difference and that the best way to do this was to follow my mother into the social sciences. I enrolled as a sociology student at the University of Cape Town, thinking that this would lead me to connectedness to the local disenfranchised people and to the intriguing and complex goings-on in the townships that I was, wasn't was meant to encroach or enter into. This did, in turn, draw me to the camera. I began to photograph the local gang members, tattoo artists. And on campus I joined the photographic club. I was the only woman member. There's a photograph of me surrounded by all the male members of the club. It never occurred to me that there was an imbalance of gender. I bought my first camera Minolta from the local pharmacy, emptying my bank account of its total funds. One of the first events I ever photographed as a student was the demolition of the Crossroads Squatter Camp by the police. It was winter. The bulldozers were rolling over the tin shacks and the homeless squatters. The police and their dogs were trying to control the angry crowd. It heralded violent confrontations between liberation movements and the apartheid regime in the next decade. I was manhandled by the police into the back of a police van and removed from the scene. I think it just made me all the more determined to show what I was seeing. When I finished my degree, I travelled alone to Europe for, the part, for a part study, part travel year abroad. My camera was my companion. Throughout my career, I've combined autobiography using photographic portraiture and documentary, documentary to investigate us humans, to study the concept and cultural understanding of, often what we might refer to as the underdog refugees the concept of displacement the person forced to flee portraits perhaps this stems from a desire to honor lost lives to somehow immortalize as Jean-Luc Nancy puts it to bring back from absence photography has given me the gift the allowance to capture my life passions be they joyous or painful every project that has held me for any number of years has been about a subject that I felt needed to be set down and it has been often impossible for me to ignore the drive to do so. It is the collaboration in the portrait that really fires me, the idea that in a sitting an instruction to make the slightest movement of a chin or a nose will make the difference and will render someone to look either fierce or in contrast completely vulnerable. Philip Glass once told me how he'd gone to Robert Maplethorpe's studio and they had talked for hours when he suddenly jumped up saying, oh my, look at the time, we'd better take a few photographs. And that's it. It's the connection, the exchange, the honouring of one subject that is so powerful and so meaningful to me in this blessed art form that we have chosen to express ourselves in.
0: Thank you, Gillian, for your fulsome contribution this week. I always really enjoy these contributions when different people are referenced as touch points or, and that idea there of Philip Glass coming in and Maplethorpe And I, I really enjoy that idea that, as photographers, we do not exist alone within a photographic world. We exist within a cultural world, within a popular cultural world. And it's something I talk a lot about, the importance of popular culture. Also, of course, the metaphor of music, which keeps reoccurring not only in this podcast, but in a lot of the contributions that we received So thank you very much, Gillian, for bringing those uh, reference points to us this week. A little bit of housekeeping now. A number of you have commented, and I thank you for that, on how much you've enjoyed my conversations with Bill Shapiro over the last couple of months. We did one on the New Year's Eve as a New Year's special, looking forward to the coming year. And a couple of weeks ago, we did a half-term report where we kind of looked back and looked forward and looked at what was going on today, I suppose, um, and made some commentary about that and the comments I've received are that you enjoy our conversation, you enjoy what we talk about, but you'd like it to be a little bit longer. Well, Bill and I have had a chat and what we're talking about doing, this is an exclusive, is launching a once a month talk which is going to be called A Photographic Conversation. It will go out at the Beginning of each month, in the first week of each month, you won't get a photographic life that week, but you will get an extra long photographic conversation between Bill and I. Now, when I say extra long, I like to keep things short. So it'll be about 45 minutes, I think, per episode. But we'll see how that progresses. So that's something to look forward to. We're aiming to launch that in the fall, hopefully in September. We'll see how it goes. But um, there you go. We're responding to audience feedback. I should say that you'll be able to receive those and to access those uh, episodes of a photographic conversation on all the same platforms that you can get a photographic life on the same feed. So you won't have to go looking for it. Whilst I'm talking about other podcasts and also saying thank you, I'd like to say thank you to all of you who I know have now joined us on this podcast, having listened to me being interviewed on the Photography Daily podcast. The PhotographyDaily.show is where you can find that. Number 310 of his photo walks, he being Neil James. Uh, and it's titled A Secret Shed in the Country, where I actually allow Neil to come to the shed with where this podcast is uh, recorded from. So, thanks very much for that. And if you haven't already checked that one out, um, it seems that people are finding it interesting. I have to be honest, I did it. And I I did say to you, I'm not sure anybody's going to want to listen to me rabbiting on in this way about what I think about photography um, and my personal life and all sorts of different things. But um, evidently, um, some people do find it of interest. So there you go. You can check that one out at photographydaily.show. I think that posted on 17th of June uh, this year, 2022. Um, Something else that'll be coming up over the next couple of weeks, uh, more episodes of the In Search of Bill J podcast. I'm working on those. And as always, trying to talk photography and just keep involved and engaged with the medium and constantly trying to find out where it's going. And I suppose in a way also just constantly trying to enjoy it because that's the most important thing is to have fun and of course to take care.